Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's podcast interview with Robert Erdley, CIO at University Hospitals. In this segment, Erdley talks about how his team is leveraging technology to move away from the phone-based culture, what they're doing to help patients recover at home rather than in a hospital setting, and why he believes patients shouldn't always be left to their own devices. As much as 80% of patient information is unstructured and stored outside of an EMR, Highland Healthcare helps complete the patient record by consolidating and connecting this unstructured content to core clinical systems. With a full suite of content services and enterprise imaging solutions, Highland gives clinicians a single view of all documents and medical images associated with the patient via the EMR, enabling more informed health decisions and improving patient outcomes. Highland Healthcare. See your whole patient. Visit highlandhealthcare.com to learn more. One of the uh, initiatives I had come across was using AI and facial recognition. Can you talk about that? Because that seems like something really interesting and a good example of uh, innovation that has come out of need. Yeah. So, so this is a, a partnership we developed with TensorMark is a company name, but really they were trying to explore the use case where with the consumer's discretion, then um, could we supply basically the COVID test results to them? And then they would use facial recognition to marry up who the person is. And then they would query, is there a, a negative value or a positive value in recent past? And so on their side of the fence, they really owed the conversations of sports venues, restaurants and the like, where they were going to try to implement this tool. We were party to this because if we had the consumer's approval, which was its own item to focus on, then would we release the lab results out to uh, this company to be able to give somebody basically a negative COVID test result in the last, say, 14 days? That was what we've been working on together. But most of that, kind of the facial recognition side of that was on the other party's design. Right, right. I will mention, related to this, we did move forward with the video-based temperature scanning at our front entrances. So for instance, now when I walk in our building, there's a security guard, which has always sat there, but I go stand in front of a video camera, pull my face mask down, and it takes about, the, the, the camera takes about one second, maybe two seconds, and it will analyze the heat of my forehead and cheeks, and then it will ding positively if I'm uh, under the threshold, let's say 97.8, and then it would give a different buzz if I was o- over the threshold and it's been changing a little bit, but let's call it 100 degrees. Right. So the security guard themselves would be able to have a pretty quick visual that they would know everybody who's walked into our building. Um, and this is an administrative building, so I'll separate that from our patients. Would be temperature checked upon entry, and it would then be more efficient than requiring a nurse to sit there for the whole time that the building was open. That, that's kind of what we did early on. We had a nurse yeah. uh, sit at our front entrances taking a temperature checks. And I think we probably could all acknowledge that's not exactly why they went to nursing school. Right, right. You know, but they were happy for the work because our patient activity was down so much, but the patient activity has returned. And so the nursing division rightfully 
would go back to the bedside caring for our patients. And so we were able to find technology to fill that gap of taking temperature screens upon entrance to some of our buildings. Right. And, and that's an interesting point because in our interviews, we had seen examples of that, both clinical and IT workers who were put into different roles. But as you said, we're, we're grateful for their work, but really just required um, a lot of flexibility on the part of individuals. That's right. And I, I think people inherently got that it was a unique situation. First and foremost, we deliver upon the mission of our organization to take care of our community. And so when people had to live outside either their comfort zone or their normal, I think people pretty quickly understood it was for the goal of trying to set up these processes on something that was relatively unchartered. And so I've heard generally just positive feedback from, from people that were asked to do creative or unique things. Yeah, it's, it's something that certainly would have a lot of long-term benefits, but might not always be easy in the short term. I agree. I agree. And is there anything else that comes to mind that, that you guys are looking at, whether or not influenced by the pandemic? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I'll run through some other items that are, that are top of mind that are part of our strategic mm -hmm. goal. We have a big focus on patient access. And while that will be a common focus, it really is a mix of getting our operational practice design as well as our IT systems in alignment with each other. And so there's two parts to this access initiative. You know, one part is simple exposing the availability to a wider audience. So availability of, of a physician in their practice, mm -hmm. either for a consult, a follow-up visit, an, an initial referral. And so, you know, for a long time, we've been a phone-based culture, you know, call the practice and talk to somebody there and they know who does what. As we computerize this operation and then we bring it online, it really forces the discussion of we need to have in, into the IT systems a directory of what orthopods work on what subspecialties so that when a patient is looking to complete a referral order for orthopedics, they can go to the right foot doctor for their toe pain or they can go to the right shoulder physician to investigate a torn ligament or you know, it might be back or spine. These are all orthopedics. And so there's been a lot of work to try to get an accurate physician directory of who does what and what specialties. And then within that, understanding of the practice patterns of how long do they see clinic, how long do they see patients, on which days, some days they're in surgery, some days they're in clinic. And in order to put what used to be a phone-based discussion into an online access, it starts with understanding how the practice practices and then creating the IT systems so that we have a discrete subspecialty-based directory. And then we can feed that directory to our website search engine if you're looking for an orthopod. And then we can expose enough availability in our registration and scheduling system so that somebody online can have a good collection of availability when they want to select next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday online. So that's one side of it is just understanding how the practices work and then exposing that online while respecting their desire to practice, to have some level of control of the practice. And then the second is executing 
what we would call referral orders efficiently. So if you go to a primary care physician, you have a referral order to a cardiologist or an orthopod, then you might get that referral order. We're putting a lot of processes, both work processes and IT system processes in place. So it can be exceptionally easy for you to get that appointment booked for the orthopod or the cardiologist. And so that's a dance of practice patterns in IT systems. That is one of our key 2020 initiatives. Right. You know, this, this is something that really seeing this type of emphasis on patient access and, and patient engagement experience, it's really so important. Not that it hasn't been a priority, but hasn't really always been the top priority. And I think that it's, it's really a big step to see the industry really moving closer to improving that overall experience. And you're right. And it's, it's an evolution, much like maybe the travel industry went through back when there were travel agents and you went to a travel agent to find availability. I mean, this goes back, what, 25, 30? Yeah. To be able to work inside their archaic computer systems to try to find flights and dates and times. And it, this was at an era where it wasn't self-serve long yeah. time ago. And now, obviously, for all of us, for the last, what, 10, 15 years, we've expected to have online availability to the flight and cost. We're going through somewhat that same evolution, and uh, each health system will have a, a, a variation of this theme, I'm sure. We all know the end game, and that would be for you to go online, either on your phone or your computer, but you know, if it's on your phone, to be able to go through, scroll, find the cardiologist or the orthopod that you want, and be able to book it right there, a, a date and time for a consult that meets your convenience. So we know that's the end game. Working backwards, uh, we're trying to put the steps in. And fundamentally, it migrates us from what has been a phone-based culture for a long time, where you call the practice and they know which physicians do what. And they hold a lot of institutional knowledge of, you know, explain a little bit of what your pain is and, oh, you need to see this particular physician. And it's trying to take the simplicity of that statement. When you called on the phone and you gave 30 seconds of what your pain is, they would point you to the right orthopod because they all subspecialize in something. We're trying to now force to put that onto the online computer system. Right. And so the computer systems are just going to you know, expose what's been populated. So we really need to have much more granular directories about who does the hand surgery, who does the back spine consult, who does shoulder, who does foot. And that would be one example where we're going through that migration now and it's part, how do you run your practice? What, what do you do, physician? Because we're trying to get in the computer system. And then it's part comfort level. You know, We're going to expose next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to consumers. And admittedly, it, it's always been to exposed to consumers. They would, they would just call. And now we're, of yeah. course, asking everybody to, to go online. Yeah. I really like the way you put it. It's an evolution. Right. And it's much more than we have the technologies already to be able to do online booking, online scheduling. That's not really the hardest part. The right. hardest part is understanding the subspecialties, what day they practice, what days are there in surgeries, right? When's the clinic open, when it's not, when does somebody cover for that physician? Because you might want a cardiology consult and the person might be on a leave of absence. They might be just on classic vacation but you would want to know the next best provider. And so it's really trying to 
get that accurate directory populated uh, so that we could expose online the appropriate physician for your needs. Right. Another item that we've really moved forward with, you know, across a large domain is virtual care. So that would be kind of the strategic initiative, right? Virtual care in a very broad sense. Um, but this takes a, a number of different elements. One of those that actually came out of the response with COVID is remote patient monitoring. So now if you present to one of our EDs, emergency departments, and if you have mild conditions, you're not warranted for an inpatient admission, but we also know that this thing can kind of turn south quickly. We now have a tool that we can send you home with that will remotely connect you to a physician that can monitor your care. And so we may send people home on that for you know, a week of observation, we'll call it. And if their O2 levels go south precipitously, we can then contact that patient and check on them. And if they're having trouble breathing and the like, we can uh, advise them to get to an ED or otherwise you know, arrange for them to um, see the appropriate provider. So that, that's one large initiative that we put in really as, as a response to COVID pandemic itself, but it was in a, in a direction we were heading anyways, which is um, having people be remotely connected, even if they're in our home, to the appropriate caregivers within our system. Okay. And you said it's, it's a device that they get sent home with? It is. It's a device with okay. uh, a cellular kind of option that you can plug into the wall. And so you would wear it on your wrist and it would take enough of your biometrics and vitals that we feel we could have enough look inside your situation and to be yeah. able to check in on you should we find that the conditions warrant. So in one case, somebody went home with, with mild conditions and then turned worse and uh, the provider monitoring that patient remotely from kind of central command was able to get in touch with that patient, work through and deemed it critical enough to request an, an ED visit in admission. And that's where patients that you know are left to their own devices may not always know enough to take the appropriate action. And so we want to make sure that they um, are, are appropriately educated and that they have somebody at UH that is um, making sure that they've, they've fully recovered without just sending them away from the ED and then losing track of them. Right, right. And that seems like it goes along with uh, what you mentioned before as the move toward population health and leveraging technology to keep patients out of the hospital. That's right. We've got a bit of a motto or tagline. We want to have folks healthy at home you know, rather than recovering in our hospitals wherever possible and wherever clinically mm -hmm. it's appropriate. But for many people, we recover best if we're in a comfortable home environment it's just in years past, we didn't have really a linkage into the home environment to be able to feel that we could appropriately observe their ongoing clinical situation. And so we have uh, new tool sets now that we can send our patients home with to be able to clinically observe them so that they can recover and be healthy at home rather than, right. rather than recovery in a hospital bed. Yeah. Another item that we've moved forward with is um, a remote 
monitored intensive care unit. So E-ICU or electronic ICU is the other way this sometimes gets framed. And with a number of outlying facilities in a couple of our more rural areas of Northeast Ohio, we might have an ICU, but we can effectively monitor those patients with an intensivist or two intensivist physicians back at a central command post. And so we've moved forward on a um, EICU effort to be able to really bring the knowledge and expertise of some of those physicians and intensivists that work at a central location. They now can monitor some of our smaller remote locations that might otherwise be challenged with keeping an intensivist on the team, you know, full-time, 24-7. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.